You're listening to the podcast of Christ Church in Albuquerque, New Mexico. We hope these sermons help you to know God through Christ by deepening your belief in the gospel. Greetings from Psalm 90. A prayer of Moses, the man of God. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, Return, O children of man, for a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed, in the evening it fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger, by your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all of our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are seventy, or even by reason of strength eighty. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. This is the word of the Lord. Well, please stay standing with me and let me pray for us. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we praise you and we thank you that you have so kindly and graciously assembled us under your word together tonight. Uh, We praise you and we thank you for this affirmation of faith in Psalm 90 verse 1. Lord, you have been our dwelling place In all generations, we thank you uh, that as those who trust in the Lord Jesus, you are our home now and forever and ever and ever. And we pray as we study your word together tonight that you would help us to understand more of what that means uh, and that we would be glad in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, please do have a seat. And um, I cannot tell you what a great privilege and blessing it is for me to be with you all tonight. I can't thank you enough for having me, uh, although you had nothing to do with that at all. Um, So you can blame Clint and Nathan later. Um, 
In fact, as we've been going through the liturgy this evening and I've been um, just uh, enjoying Clint's excitement, I've been thinking to myself, he should really be preaching for you all tonight. But I'm glad to be here and... um, We are in Psalm 90 because I picked it for New Year's Eve. Um, So I have only myself to blame. If you would open your Bibles though or keep them open to Psalm 90, uh, we're going to walk through the passage together. Um, So uh, New Year's Eve. Uh, New Year's Eve is one of those times in the year when we tend to reflect perhaps a little bit more than usual. Uh, So we might look back over the past year and think about the things uh, that the Lord has done. Uh, Or we might look with a certain amount of anticipation at the year ahead and think of uh, what God will graciously continue to do uh, by his wonderful hand of providence Uh, Well, whatever we may be thinking about these things, Psalm 90 that we're going to be studying together this evening uh, really helps us to put life in perspective. And that's what Moses is doing in this psalm. He's putting life in perspective. So it seemed uh, a great thing to do on New Year's Eve, uh, just to take a moment uh, as we're studying God's Word together to help God's Word put life in perspective for us. As we head into not only 2018, uh, but into the rest of uh, our sojourn on the way to heaven. Psalm 90 helps us uh, to live with an eternal perspective and to let an eternal perspective actually uh, bear weight in day day decisions. It helps us to look at life the right way. As we head into a new year, we can often be tempted to look to the wrong things or to look at life in the wrong way. And Psalm 90 corrects that perspective for us. Psalm 90 helps us to look at life in the right way. And in particular, it shows us where to look when life looks bleak. So I don't know what your 2017 was like. I don't know what your 2018 will be like. I don't know what the roller coaster of life will look like for you. Uh, But certainly for all of us, there are times where life looks bleak. Certainly that was going on for the people of Israel in the context of Psalm 90. So it teaches us where to look when life looks bleak in particular. Psalm 90 is full of the concerns of life. Interestingly enough, Psalm 90 is often read at funerals. But Psalm 90 is for the living. It's full of the things of life. And it's full of the unchanging grace of God. So if we think about the shape of the Christian life for a minute, uh, we could say that the shape of the Christian life is one long journey in the same direction. We are sojourners on the way home, and as Christian believers sojourning on the way home, we live with a deep sense that we don't belong here. 
And Psalm 90 reminds us of where our home actually is. And even more to the point, Psalm 90 reminds us who our home actually is and how we walk in him. You see, Psalm 90 says that God is the dwelling place of his people, his people's home now and forever and ever and ever and ever. God is the home of his people. So this psalm helps us to get God into perspective. It helps us to get life into perspective, and it helps us to get grace into perspective. So that's how we're going to look at the psalm together in the next few minutes uh, under those three headings, a right perspective on God, a right perspective on life, and a right perspective on grace. So if we're ready to go and you've got your Bibles open, let's jump in under our first heading. Number one, a right perspective on God. So the heading or the inscription that you can see at the very top of Psalm 90 says, a prayer of Moses, the man of God. That's part of the infallible, inerrant written word there, that heading or that inscription. Okay, and we're being told uh, the context of the psalm. It's a prayer of Moses, the man of God. Now, obviously, Psalm 90 comes directly after Psalm 89. But Psalm 89 is actually a real low point in the book of Psalms, in the whole of the Psalter. Psalm 89 is a low point where it looks like there's no hope and there's no future. And then right after Psalm 89, Psalm 90 is the first book, it's the first psalm of book four of the Psalms. So the Psalter, 150 psalms, divided into five different books. Psalm 90 is the first psalm of book four of the Psalter, a book which is all about the Exodus and the wilderness wanderings. So that puts us in our context right away. When we're reading Psalm 90, we're thinking Exodus and wilderness wanderings. It's a perfect psalm to think about the shape of the Christian life as we're sojourning to heaven with God as our home along the way, now and forever. So be thinking Exodus and wilderness wanderings as we're walking through the psalm together. Moses, who didn't go into the promised land with the people, opens this psalm with a glorious affirmation of faith in verses 1 and 2, where he shows us God's eternity, that God is eternal, where he shows us God's changelessness, the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he shows us that God's eternity and God's changelessness are the answer to our homelessness, and the brevity of our lives. So come with me to verses 1 and 2 again. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, 
or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Right at the beginning of the song, we're reminded of the reality of God. And we're reminded of how big God is. Just, just look at the language. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth, that's creator language, ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. It's showing us God's reality and it's showing us how big God is. God is eternal and that gets communicated from two directions in verses one and two. First of all, that phrase there in verse one, in all generations or perhaps better, um, from generation to generation, that is the sweep of the ages from our point of view. That's how we see the world pass by from a human perspective. From generation to generation to generation to generation. What Moses is doing is saying that God is eternal and saying it from our point of view first of all. From generation to generation. And then in verse 2. He uses a different phrase. He says, from everlasting to everlasting. And that is the sweep of the ages from God's point of view. All saying the same thing, that God is eternal. And God's eternality can be seen from our point of view, from generation to generation. God is God. And that e eternality can be seen from God's point of view. Uh, from uh, all eternity. From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. So right at the beginning of the psalm, where he's about to get into the difficulties of life, he starts with this great statement of faith. God is God. He is eternal. He is the creator of everything. You can never see the beginning of God and you will never see the end of him. God is sovereign. He is eternal. He is self-existent. There's no beginning to him. There's no end to him. It's so hard for us to get our finite minds around that. There's no beginning to God and no end to God. That's, that's hugely difficult for us to grasp because there's a beginning to everything for us. But wonderfully, the fact that there's no beginning to God and no end to God means that we can't put God in a box. It's wonderful, right? If we could understand absolutely everything about God, then he would cease to be God because by definition we could have made him up. And when you read verses like this, you realize, man, I couldn't have made that up. God is God. He is self-existent. He's the creator of everything. He is eternal. No beginning to him and no end to him. He's massive. And there's great news in that for us. Because how does Moses start? Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations you see, it isn't simply that God is eternal and that God is changeless. 
It is that God is the sure and safe anchorage of his people. That's what Moses means when he says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place. God is eternal. He is inescapable. He is always there. And God has always been the dwelling place of his people from generation to generation. God is the eternal home. God is the answer. God is the rest. God is the confidence of his people. What a great way to step into the rest of our lives. God himself is the dwelling place of his people. So amazingly, in his wonderful grace, God takes us up into him to dwell in him. You see, Moses is not saying that God makes a home for his people. Moses is not saying that God provides a home for his people. Moses is saying that God is a home. The home of his people. God is our home if we're trusting in the Lord Jesus. We dwell in sweet communion with God. He remains our dwelling place. He is our shelter and our protector. He is our comfort and our preserver. God is the home of his people. And this is not just our hope for the future. This is our present reality. That's how Moses says it in verse 1. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Not just our hope for the future, but our present reality. God is the present home of his people. We are at home in God now. This is the grace of adoption as the children of God because of the finished work of Jesus in our place as our substitute. So if I am in Jesus, I am secure. If I am in Jesus, I am accepted. If I am in Jesus, I have blessed assurance. And therefore... If I am in Jesus, I have glorious assurance to face what comes next. Because Psalm 90 goes really dark from verses 3 to 11. And that leads to our next heading, a right perspective on life. The very fact that God is the dwelling place of his people, that he is our home, begs the question, why do we need a home? And verses 3 to 11 of Psalm 90 answer that question in a series of different ways that flow into each other. Uh, so it begins by telling us that we need a home because life is transitory. Right? Compared to God's eternity, life is really, really short. 
That's the comparison that Moses is doing in verses 1 through 6 of the psalm. Right? He's showing that God is eternal and, and compared to or contrasted with the, the eternal God, our life is very, very short. The eternity of God actually exposes the brevity of our life. So in verses 3 through 6... Moses underlines the temporal and frail nature of our lives. Pick up with me in verse 3. Let me read these verses for you. You return man to dust and say, return, O children of man. For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. Okay, so follow what Moses is doing here. Against the backdrop of the timelessness of God in verse 4 and the eternity of God in verses 1 and 2, there is the frustration and frailty of human life in verse 3. It ends in death. You return man to dust. And in verses 5 and 6, look at the kind of imagery that he uses in verses 5 and 6 to show the temporary nature of life here or the transitory nature of life now. He uses this language. Uh, you, sleep, you sweep them away with a flood, with a flood. Here one minute, gone the next. They're like a dream that just vanishes, like grass here today and gone tomorrow. And the shocking thing about those verses is that God causes us to die. Look at who's doing these. Go back to verse 3. It's the prayer of Moses. He's talking to the Lord. And who does he address? You, Lord, you return man to dust. Verse 5, you sweep them away as with a flood, like a dream, like grass. God causes us to die. He cuts life short. And Moses tells us why God cuts life short. It is because we are consumed by God's anger. And Moses tells us why God is angry. God is angry because of our sin. So just pick up with me in verse 7. The four at the beginning of verse 7 begins to explain what he's just been telling us about the transitory nature of life, uh, of this life here and now. For we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath, we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh or a whisper or a whimper. The years of our life are 70 or even by reason of strength, 80, yet their span 
is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. Don't you resonate with verse 10? Consider the span of your life. It's toil and trouble. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? See how many times the word anger or wrath gets repeated in verses 7 to 11? Moses is driving the point that God is angry. Now let's pause for a minute and let's be careful. Let's be careful not to confuse God's anger with what our own anger often looks like. You see, our own anger can often be unpredictable and unrighteous and uncontrolled. But that's not God's anger or God's wrath or God's indignation might be a better word for us. That's not what God's indignation is like at all. God's anger is his settled, controlled, right, and righteous indignation toward all that stands in opposition to or rebellion against him. It is just. He is holy. It's right for him to be angry. He's righteous in his anger. God is angry because of our sin. Sin is our rebellion against him. And sin is trying to live without reference to him. It's trying to live in God's world without reference to God at all. So sin is like trying to airbrush or to Photoshop God out of life altogether and live life on our own terms. Sin is falling short of the glory of God. It's failing to show the reverence that is due to his name. And the Bible says that death is not an accident. It is due to God's anger. And God is angry because we are sinful. Uh, The wages of sin is death. That's what sin pays. And it's when we come to places like this uh, that we really need to be thankful for the revelation of God and be deeply grateful for God's word. Uh, This is why we need to listen to God's word And not to the world's propaganda. You see, we we tend to like the world's propaganda, don't we? Uh, We like the world's propaganda that says uh, that God is never angry. um, And that says that we're not really sinful. uh, And that says that everything is all right. Uh, It's like the false prophets described in the Old Testament that were always prophesying peace, peace, when there was no peace. Uh, But but we we like to think of God as that old grandfatherly type gentleman, don't we? And that we're really all okay. Um, 
we like the world's pop- propaganda uh, when it comes to how they view life, where they suppress the truth. You see, it's not just the world's propaganda. It so easily is our propaganda, isn't it? Uh, where we're suppressing the truth, um, trying to say that life should be different than how life is described here in these verses. Uh, Part of the expression of our sin uh, shows up in suppressing the truth. But wonderfully, God tells us in his word what he is really like, and he tells us what we are really like. He gives us the truth, and he does it because he loves us. He does it for our welfare. And so he tells us that he sees our outward and visible sin and he tells us that he sees our inward and hidden sin. Go back to verse 8. You have set our iniquities, all of the things on the outside before you and even our secret sins that we thought hidden are in the light of your presence. God knows it all. He knows your heart and he knows mine. And he graciously exposes our greatest problem. He points out our sin so that we can be pointed to the only way of escape. You see, it is the kindness of God to show us that we are sinful. It is the kindness of God to show us that our lives are permeated with sin. It is the kindness of God to show his indignation in the humiliation of death, to remind us of the shortness of life. It is the kindness of God to show us the frustrations of decay and transience. It is the kindness of God to show us the terrifying reality of our own guilt. God is actually showing us the world in which we live. God is actually showing us our own hearts. And it is God's kindness to show us how sin spoils life and how it pays with death. First of all, uh, because all of this underlines the dreariness and the emptiness and the purposelessness that sin brings to human life. Don't you feel the weight of it as we read God's word? The, The purposelessness, dreariness, emptiness that sin brings to human life. And part of the evidence of sin is that we try to cover up the shortness of our life. Uh, We try to hide from a right perspective about life uh, by promising ourselves that it'll go on and on and on and on and trying to cover up the shortness of our life. Uh, Part of the evidence of our sin is that we um, try to cover up the seriousness of our sin But these verses, 3 to 11, want us to consider the shortness 
of life. These verses want us to consider the seriousness of sin. These verses want us to consider the span of our life. These verses want us to consider the righteous indignation of God. That's what verse 11 is calling out for. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? The psalm actually wants us to do what we're doing right now and to spend time considering these things. But it doesn't want us to spend time considering these things just so that we'll know that God is holy uh, and, and that he is right and righteously angry towards sin. The psalmist wants us to consider all of these things so that we will find our home in God. He wants us to consider these things so that we can see that God is offering himself as our home. He wants us to consider these things so that we can see the core of the gospel. Yes, the core of the gospel is in Psalm 90. Because the core of the gospel is the grace of God in rescuing his people, and in keeping his people. And that leads us to our third and final heading. A right perspective on grace. So, so the pivot or the turning point of the psalm comes in verse 12. So don't leave now. <laughs> Hang on. We're against the backdrop uh, of, of this Bad news, so to speak. We get now the wonderful good news of the grace of God. So the turning point or the pivot of the psalm is in verse 12. Remember uh, from the heading or the inscription, this is a prayer of Moses, the man of God. And by the time we get to verses 12 through 17, Moses actually sets himself to petition. Right? You get them listed out there in uh, 12 to 17. Let me just give them to you briefly. You can see them at the beginning of each verse. He's got six petitions here. So teach us in verse 12. Verse 13, return. Verse 14, satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love. 15, make us glad. 16, let your work be shown. 17, let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us. And that goes together with establish the work of our hands. God's favor and him giving us the work that he's got for us to do go together. So Moses is now praying. Moses knows that life is brief. He knows that God is the home of his people. He uses servant language all the way through this psalm, even when he's talking about how hard life is. He's using servant language. He's talking, he's talking uh, to the Lord about the people of God, right? It has immediate reference to the people in the wilderness, uh, the people doing all manner of sinful things in the wilderness and being totally unfaithful. And what is he assured of? The faithfulness of God. Even in the midst of his people's unfaithfulness, what's he sure of? The faithfulness of God. He knows that God is the home of his people. That's where he began. <laughs> With that great affirmation of faith. Oh Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. 
in, the, in Egypt, when we were in slavery, through the exodus, through the wanderings in the wilderness, you are our home. He knows that God is the home of his people. And so he prays that God would allow them to enjoy this sweet walk with him all of their days. And that God would actually give to them the work that he wants them to be doing. So now let me read 12 to 17 for you. So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us. And for as many years as we have seen evil, let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Verse 12, teach us to number our days there. Teach us to number our days is not teach us the actual number of our days. Okay, Moses is not saying, tell me how many days I've used already and how many days I'm going to use so, so that I can get a heart of wisdom. That's not what he's praying at all. What Moses is praying there is teach us why our days are so few. In other words, teach us to grasp that we are sinners and that life is short. And why do we want to know that? We want to know that because God's anger is not the whole picture. There is the beauty of God's love and grace for his people as well. I find that the most staggering thing about this psalm. We pivot in verse 12. The default mode of the human heart would want to read Psalm 90 like, kind of like this. We'd like to go through Psalm 90 and say, okay, God's the home of his people, uh, but we've lived this horrible way, and so now we better try harder and do better. Right? That's where the human heart wants to go. Now... Uh, we, we, better, we better pull ourselves uh, up by our bootstraps. Now, we better start doing what would make the Lord happy and then maybe he'll have us. Now, dare I say, on New Year's Eve, we better make a New Year's resolution to do it all better. Right? Isn't that where the human heart... Martin Luther said the default mode of the human heart is works. It's where the human heart defaults to. That's where we go to. We face up to all the news that we just faced up to and we think to ourselves, oh, now I better go. Uh, I better get going. I don't know about you, but I've completely given, I, I've completely given up making New Year's resolutions because I never keep them. Right? You see, wonderfully, that's not where the psalm goes. The psalm unpacks everything that we've just been walking through. And then where does Moses go? The grace of God. He just cries out to God. You are the dwelling place of your people. You are our home. 
please let us know the gladness and satisfaction of walking with you. And please give us the work that you have for us to do. It changes everything. It magnifies the grace of God. This is getting grace into perspective. This is a right perspective on grace. You see the prayer in verses 13 to 17 is really a cry for a total reversal, a complete change in the situation entirely and exclusively through the grace and mercy of God. Return in verse 13 repeats the same word or represents the same word for return in verse 3. That God, in his grace and mercy, would treat those who trust in him far better than we deserve. Far better than our sins deserve. That God, in his grace and mercy, would give us what we don't deserve and would not give us what we do deserve. It's stunning. It's stunning. God's steadfast love, in verse 14, is his loyal love for his people. That's what's being talked about there. That God keeps his promises to people who really deserve his anger. God's steadfast love is seen in that he keeps his good promises to people who don't deserve it. And God's steadfast love and God's anger were resolved on the cross when Jesus died. His steadfast love, his hased, his covenant faithfulness, his loyal love to his people and his anger were 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 actually resolved on the cross when Jesus died so that God can be both just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. God has defined his steadfast love in sending Jesus to pay the price for sinful people. To rescue rebels like us. To pay our penalty in our place as our substitute. And so when we trust in Jesus, we actually get to enjoy and be satisfied in him. Jesus deals with our death so that we can enjoy him forever. Our only true satisfaction, we prayed about it at the beginning of our time together. Our only true satisfaction comes from him. And when we taste and see that he is good, we taste and see what we were made for. And we keep going back to him for satisfaction. We pray that God will give us the joy and gladness of satisfaction in him. Because only he is truly satisfying. And when we are satisfied in him, we are truly satisfied. What have you done in the wilderness? Have you blown it? Are you trying to make up for it? That's not what Moses does. What does Moses do? He rejoices in the grace of God. The grace of God that makes us his people in the first place and the grace of God that keeps us as his people always. This is a life touched with the beauty of the Lord 
and walking with him. And in his grace, it is a life doing the work that he has given us to do as his people. So even though our lives here are short, if we trust in the Lord Jesus, he will enable us to do things that last well beyond this life and into eternity. It will be his work that he will do in us and through us for his glory and for others' good. See that repeated phrase in verse 17, establish the work of our hands? Establish the work of our hands. That prayer is not asking God to bless the work that we want to do. That's what we have a tendency to do, isn't it? We come up with some idea on what we want to do and we say, okay, God, will you bless that now? Will you establish that work? That's not the prayer here. The prayer here is asking God to actually give us as well as to enable us to do the work that he wants us to do. This is his work done in and through us by him. And what is the work that God is doing? God is building his people. And he graciously actually allows us and gives us a role to play in that work, as we talk to people about Jesus, as we encourage people in Jesus, as we give people Jesus from the Bible, God actually establishes and enables that work. I've been praying for you all, Christ Church, since you first started to gather and pray about whether you would plant a church. And I've been praying by the grace of God for you ever since. What a fantastic application that we have right here. God's established the work and he's enabling you to do the work. What a great way to go into the new year. Lord, let me enjoy my walk with you, my relationship with you and give me the work that you've got for me to do. Who, who, who do you want me talking uh, to, to about Jesus? Who do you want me reading the Bible with one to one? Who, where do you want me serving at Christ Church? What do you want me doing? See the whole movement of this psalm? We dwell in God. He's our home. He's rescued us by his grace. He keeps us by his grace. We actually get to enjoy him. We actually get to enjoy him now and forever and ever and ever with ever-increasing joy. What a great prayer as we go into the new year and into the rest of our life. Lord, let me know the joy and gladness of being satisfied in you and give me the work you want me to do and help me to do it. Help me to do it. That'll change the way we go into the new year, will it not? Right? This is a total change of perspective. Right perspective on God, right perspective on life, right perspective on grace. Right? We're not going to be looking at life anymore for what we can get out of it. We have everything in Jesus. Now we get to enjoy him and we get to ask him, what do you want me to give away? For the sake of the gospel and the glory of your name. That'll change life. I'm getting excited now. I'm getting excited now. That, yeah. God does it. God's awesome.
Don't listen to the world's propaganda. Please. Don't, 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 don't listen to the propaganda of your own heart. The world's propaganda says things like, life is short, play more. But God's perspective is so much better. By his grace, he rescues and reconciles those who repent and rely on Jesus and his finished work in their place. He truly satisfies us with true joy and gladness in him now and forever. And he establishes and enables us to play a part in his rescue operation. Jesus has done everything to bridge the gap between us and God. Jesus has done everything to cover our sin. Jesus has done everything to deal with his righteous indignation. Jesus has done everything to put our sin behind God's back. Jesus has done everything to defeat death. Jesus actually came into our wilderness in order to bring us to our true home in God so that all who trust in Jesus actually get to be with him and to enjoy him now and forever. So as we go into this new year, let's look to the cross. Let's look to the cross and trust his promises. Let's trust him to establish the work of our hands. You see, when we get God into perspective, when we get life into perspective, when we get grace into perspective, I could say that more clearly, when we get God into biblical perspective, when we get life into biblical perspective, when we get grace into biblical perspective, then we actually begin to let this eternal perspective become part of our everyday decisions. And that's when your everyday decisions will look totally different. And that's when we will grow profoundly dissatisfied with anything other than God. I've gone on for way too long, so let me say this last thing. As Christian believers, Christian, God is your dwelling place. He's your home. If you're here this evening and you're not a Christian, we're so glad you're here. Thank you so much for coming. Please keep coming. Please hear from this passage. You can have a home in God. If you will turn from your sin and you will trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you can have an eternal home in God now and forever. Eternal joy, delight, and satisfaction in him and grace to live doing the work he gives you to do. Christian believer, know that your dwelling place is in God. As we go into this new year, and as we go into every year, let's pray for a close walk with God. Let's pray for the intimacy of joy and gladness in him who has called us and who keeps us. And let's pray that he would give us the work he has for us. His work in and through us, full of his favor and full of his 
faithfulness. That's where the psalm's taking us. It's leading us to pray. Let me enjoy my walk with you and let me do the work you have for me to do. So let me ask God for that right now for us. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, living God, we praise you and we thank you that you are God, uh, that you are eternal, uh, that you are changeless, uh, that you are perfect, that you are gracious, that you are merciful, that you love your people with steadfast love. Thank you that you are the home of your people who trust in Jesus now and forever and ever and ever and ever. Thank you that this psalm invites us to pray that we might enjoy you now and forever. And so we pray Gracious God, in your great mercy, would you please allow us, as we head into this new year and into the rest of our lives here, we pray that you would allow us to enjoy our walk with you, our relationship with you, our home in you, to enjoy you. The psalm invites us to pray. Uh, Lord, that you would give us the work that you have for us to do. Thank you for Christ Church. Thank you for establishing this work. I give you all the praise and the glory and the thanks for it. Please keep it going. Take this local church family from strength to strength in following Jesus. Give them the work that you have for them to do. Give us together in this city the work that you have for us to do in proclaiming the good news about Jesus and help us to do it. For your great glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you have been encouraged to deeper life in Christ through the preaching of this sermon. For more information about Christ Church, visit www.christchurchabq.com.